I remember talking to a man that uh, was, he, for a time, he was the, um, the, the president of the Billy Graham Foundation, and he was a, an independently wealthy man, had uh, made a lot of money in factory kind of work and things, and he just had a real heart for ministry, and so he met Billy Graham somewhere along the way and, and um, wrote a cool little book called The Turtle on a Fence Post. Some of you may remember I referred to that before, but... Um, just a real sweet guy, and my buddy worked for him, sort of a groundskeeper in Weymouth, Massachusetts. And and uh, his wife had passed, and of course they had been married for so long, and just were so close. And and his wife passed, and I I just remember, you know, I was in college, so you'd say stupid things in college, and so I asked the obvious question, you know, uh, how are you doing? And uh, he said, he goes, he just kind of paused for a second, and you just got a picture, you know, he's got wrinkles, and he's just had a full life, you know, the things he must have seen and experienced and accomplished and stuff. I'm waiting for this extremely brilliant, eloquent statement. And he says, well, you know, it's uh, never going to get easier. But, uh, you know, God's good. And uh, and he allows us to lean on him. And uh, lean on him pretty heavy, he said. And he just stared at the floor for a second. He's like, wow, that's good. You know? He just had that thought of like that heavy lean into the care of the father, you know, because we always throw that phrase out there, lean on God, trust in him. And he just had this epiphany moment. It's like, you know, you press into him, you give all your weight to him. It's like falling into his arms. And I just thought that was profound in its simplicity. And it's always stuck with me that he wants us to fall into his arms and to lean heavily on him has nothing to do with where we're going this morning. Maybe it does, but it certainly wasn't intentional. Um, the, the question, I guess, I would have for us this morning is it's a simple little riddle, riddle. It's probably way too vague to come up with the answer just because I'm you know, throwing it out there. But I, I got to thinking about our subject today and going, boy, why is it that we all want this thing? It's something that we all want. It's available to all of us. It's not a matter of supply and demand. It's something we all want, and it's, and it's freely available to us, as we're going to see. But it's the one thing that we seldom ever find. There's probably a number of things that fit that description, but I think so many of them find their way back to this tiny little word in 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, which is the word prudence, if you're uh, reading the New American Standard Bible, it's uh, it translated in other ways in other scriptures, but a lot of great synonyms for prudence are wisdom, a cautiousness, being sober. We talked about that last week, being able to walk across the, the balance beam or the cable out of sobriety because you're focused and you're intent and your, your faculties are, are all engaged. Discretion, being discreet self-controlled, sound in mind. All of those things are related to this word prudence. And I, the, the first thing that came to my mind, it's, it's a word that has haunted me all week through the tune of the title that you just saw on the screen. Because Dear Prudence, Won't You Come Out to Play is an old Beatles tune. And I didn't grow up a lot on the Beatles. There were other bands and stuff that all my family listened to and stuff. But I was familiar enough with the Beatles to know who they were and some of their biggest songs and things. But where I came across the song Dear Prudence. By the way, do you guys know the Beatles song Dear Prudence? Okay. Because I know you're looking at me going, now how would you know that? So it's the same look we give Gus, who's in his early 20s and knows all these songs from the 60s and 70s. Like, how do you know that? 
He, I think in the middle of the night he goes and studies a music catalog just to appear beyond his ears. But um, the only difference between him and I is he can play them all. But that's... Uh, my my buddy Eric and I, when we were growing up in like fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, this is my best friend in Auburn, Maine. Uh, I knew that his father, who was uh, he and his his parents had divorced, and so he wasn't living with his dad, and he lived across the river to Lewiston. So we didn't see him all the time. But I met Jeff Wright a couple of times, and uh, Jeff Wright was was kind of a guitar legend in Lewiston and Auburn, and was real known for his uh, musical skill and everything. And so my friend Eric. Um, he and I were in a Lavertier's drugstore. Anybody? Lavertier's? Yeah, okay. And um, in the Lavertier's store was the, um, uh, this is like Throwback Sunday. We've done some older worship songs. I'm taking you way back with the music. Now, it gets even, how about the media? Um, in, in the files themselves were all the records. So you flip through the albums, right? And then they had a separate section for the 45s for all the singles. And we remember looking through those 45s, and this is the first time hearing about this. He looks and says, oh my goodness, my dad's record's in here. Like, your dad's record? What are you talking about? And it was um, a a cover of the song Dear Prudence by the band Catfish um, from, I heard a yup. So from the Lewiston-Auburn area, Catfish with this, here we go. Gus had to hear some of this. Pastor Matt had to hear it too, but he's not here to hear it twice because I was so braggadocious about it that I knew the the kid of the guitar player who almost got famous. Um, quite a stretch, but, but Catfish, had a, they covered Dear Prudence and they released it, and um, uh, KTEL Records okay, uh, picked it up, and, and the song, this is great, isn't it? Um, the song made it to number 53 on the Billboard charts, the top 100, so it was nearly a top 40 hit. And so... Catfish was nearly famous, and um, and it was cool just to to see how that all went. And what was even cooler is if you if you get curious this week, and Catfish is with a K, of course, because you have to do it differently. Um, one of the dudes, uh, I think maybe the drummer or something like that, has sort of like a kiss makeup kind of thing going on. And and I was reading online because I geeked right out on this. I was like watching. I was right back in memory lane. I even contacted my friend Eric in Auburn. And I was like, Hey, dude, we should talk sometime. I just you know was right in the moment and um and they even said on there that you know somebody got a hold of them management wise and said that that was the new thing the makeup thing and so one guy in the band was dare willing enough to try it and he looks so out of place because the other three guys look really normal and he's got this weird makeup stuff on it's like what's going on anyway for what it's worth a very cool cover uh, very experimental for the time and all the technology and all that stuff but that song has haunted me all week long every spare moment i hear dear prudence now you're stuck with it so i boof, give it to you so i'm hoping that i'm offering this huge introduction to the song so that the song will be happy enough with the introduction and it will leave my brain if it works that way all right there it is prudence or wisdom is something that we all know we need And I think for the most part, it's pretty universal. We would love to be wiser. Not smart guy or smart Alec, but wiser. And the scriptures are going to prove to us that it's available to all of us. And yet at the same time, we get ourselves right in the same situations. It's like chasing our tail. And we just think, if I could just apply some wisdom to this, if I could think about this from a different angle than I've been stuck in all these years, I'd probably solve this and my life would look differently. 
So what I hope to do in the few minutes that we have together is just kind of um, address some of the reasons, perhaps, why godly wisdom continues to elude us. Why does it stay so far away so often? In 1 Corinthians 2, because you remember from our text that we're working on of 1 Timothy 3, um, uh, the, the passage in, in verse 2, it starts getting into the qualifications and starts listing out the characteristics of a godly leader. And we said last week, it doesn't give us a lot to go off of in terms of instruction, the how-tos. It just says, this is what God expects. But it doesn't get into, now, this is how you become that person. So fortunately, we've got the rest of the Bible to spell that out for us. And one particular passage really helps us out with understanding perhaps one of the reasons why godly wisdom, real wisdom, or true wisdom, we'll try to di- differentiate a little bit later, why true wisdom seems so far away for us so often. So 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 and 8 says, say this. And the same author, Paul, says this. He says, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. So there's a finality to the wisdom of this age, is what he's saying. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden, hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And of course, we know from God's plan, they weren't going to understand this wisdom because the crucifixion was going to happen at the appointed time in the appointed way that God wanted so that his people could be redeemed. But Paul is saying here that if this wisdom that you and I possess were available to them, they would have seen the error of their ways. They would have seen God's plan playing out. Why? Because all of the Old Testament was given to us as a hint as to what was to come. It showed us the same God then as the one that we know now. And it starts to reveal his plan. And so those of us, as the scripture is indicating here, those of us that have entered into salvation... We've come to a point, like we said earlier, that we acknowledge, okay, Lord, I I know I'm lost. I know I'm a sinner. I know that your great glory is up here and there's no way I can keep reaching and grabbing it. I keep falling short. And so, Lord, you had to come down and rescue me by the by the sacrifice of your son on Calvary's cross. And so those of us that enter into that relationship, we receive that payment. Paul is giving us the indication that salvation instantly brings like a new set of glasses, like a new pair, that you see things differently. And that's what he's equating to godly wisdom. He says it's not a wisdom that the rest of the people have been dealing with because they don't have a view of what's been going on in history. They have no clue of what God was building up and laying up in store. And so they went ahead and fell into the plan anyway. They crucified the Lord of glory. They, they ended his earthly life, so to speak. He said, if they had the same wisdom that you now possess because you're in the faith, they wouldn't have done it. So think about the lofty compliment or the standard he just gave us. And we know it's not of our own doing, so the compliment isn't really deserved. But we do know that God's grace has been given to us, that now we start to see things. I mean, you think about, he says, the, the futility of the thinking of the rulers of this dark age. He's putting into that camp and category kings. In our, termina- in our, in our terms, we talk about presidents and others. And he's saying, those of you that are sitting in these chairs in central Maine, where the rest of the world is going, what's Maine? Where's that? And we're in Waterville area, Maine. 
You're sitting in these seats. If you've encountered a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ with already much more sufficient wisdom than the most powerful rulers of this age. And I, I don't just say that to sound like a TV preacher who's just going to you know, give you a warm thought and you can walk away and say, well, I really am somebody and doggone it. People like me. I don't share those things with you as an empty uh, gratification, but instead to help us to see that the, the, the mechanism that we've been given to process life is so much more powerful than we even realize. And it's not just the human brain with all of its mysteries. It really is the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, ascending, uh, descending on our lives and, and living in us, taking up residence in our hearts, giving us a vision to see all of life through the prism of God's grace and his working. And so we can't take this lightly. Spiritual maturity is what Paul is getting at here. That's what gives us our eyes and ears. And so salvation is the starting point. It's once we've entered the family, once we've entered in that relationship with Jesus, he, he launches us then to grow. And as we grow, our attention to his detail, our attention to his plan and our pattern only increases. It strengthens, or at least it should. And so as we start looking around and we see the thinking, it's natural for the human spirit to criticize everybody in power, right? We can always do a better job than the president. We can always do a better job than our boss. We can always do, but this isn't that kind of um, uh, macho, arrogant sort of, if I were in charge, I'd do, the, I'd do it so much better. This is more of a humility that says, Lord, I, I am so thankful that you've given me the eyes to see how much error there is around us and how these people are banging their heads against the wall because they can't think themselves out of their own paper bag. They're trapped. It's futile. That's the whole definition of futile. There's nowhere for them to go. And so what that does in the heart of a believer is it doesn't put us on an arrogant pedestal that says, I'm smarter than you are. It starts giving us a broken heart for futile thinking. It starts allowing us to look around and say, boy, it breaks my heart to think that you can't do any better than what you're doing now without the power of God. And it gives us an evaluation standard. We start looking at our own actions starting to mirror or imitate them. And we go, well, why, why am I doing that? I have so many more resources available to me. Why would I fall in that trap? Wisdom looks at things through context. That's, Paul is telling us here that if you look at the context of all of history, you'll see what the, what the sacrifice of Jesus was to accomplish. And if you were a part of that crew that had the opportunity to crucify him and you could see the context of what God was doing, you wouldn't have pulled the trigger. You wouldn't have gone through with it. Wisdom sees things through context rather than just every isolated event. Think about in the last week of your life. Think about how tempted you were or how, how much you failed at every little opportunity that presented itself. You were quick to blow up at it. You're quick to get frustrated with it. You're quick to just feel like you're doing battle with everyone and everything. Why? Because you're not pulling back and looking at context of what God is trying to do. We go back so often to Romans 8, 28 and 29, which talks about God, uh, that, that God has worked out everything according to his plan. And it was a part of his plan from the beginning that all the things that you and I would experience would all roll into what his plan was for your life. And it gives us a moment of pause and go, that's refreshing to hear. But why doesn't it stick? Why doesn't it come to mind when we're going through those battles, when we're frustrated to deal with just the isolated capsules of the things that we deal with, rather than to pull back and say, Lord, what's the context here? 
I, my battle is much bigger than just the, the little argument I'm having here or the, or, the, or the frustration that I'm having with this or this breaking down or something. Lord, there's a bigger context you're trying to force into my life and I, I don't want to resist it. I don't want to miss it. So I think partly the reason why wisdom continues to elude us is that it just doesn't look like what we expect it to. We think wisdom comes in power. We think it comes with flash and it comes in, in strength and might. And that's what allows us or that's what makes us miss the context that wisdom is coming to us in. I also think that the, one of the re- major reasons why we continue to miss godly wisdom and instead settle for the wisdom that perhaps we've been practicing ever since we were born is because we don't get around it enough to recognize it. In other words, we don't put ourselves in the audience of wisdom enough to be refreshed by it. My thoughts go to the first chapter of Psalms. And I love this passage of Scripture, and I I think I'm always caught off guard that it's in Psalms because it sounds so much like the wisdom of the Proverbs. And Psalms has more of a poetry to it and, and a falling into God's grace and His protection. And so this, to me, reads a little bit more like the hard, concrete wisdom of the Proverbs. So let's look at just the first few verses together. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners. Think about placement. Think about being in the audience or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. You know, I think most of our problems, not not all of our problems, the dishwasher may still break down, or you know, you may still miss a car payment, or you still may have some of these things come into your life. Not all of our problems will be solved. But most of our problems would be solved if we properly discerned between worldly counsel and God's wisdom. And I think that's the point of Psalm 1 here. Psalms is getting to the point of if you just keep putting your path, uh, you just keep putting yourself in the path of sinners and worldly advice, you can't help but to start adapting to it and say, well, sounds good for now. I'll give it a shot. Let's give it a try. There's this, uh, there's this mantra, this drumbeat that happens in churches all the time, and, it, and it's not a, a bad thing, but we just have to sometimes clarify. That drumbeat is that we should be out in the world and evangelizing and sharing the gospel, and we should be giving out the word of God. We should be seeing lost sinners come to salvation in Christ, and none of us should disagree with that. But the point that we don't sometimes help folks with is discerning between when is it the right time for me to be in that environment versus when is it the right time for me to pull myself out and to strengthen, and to recharge, and to protect that which God has planted within me as a seed. And so, if depending on what stage of, of your walk with the Lord that you're in, you need to evaluate this. You need to stop and think, am I around all of my old influences so much that it's so hard to hear the volume of the Lord? It's so hard to hear His voice distinctly because I'm such good friends with this person over here. I've been working over here for so long. I've been doing all these kinds of things. And, and it just... I don't seem to ever go anywhere in my faith. When I'm at church, I just feel like this rejuvenation. I feel this freshness washing over me because I don't hear stuff like this all week. You need to start thinking about the places that you're putting yourself. You need to think about the audience that you're sitting in all week long. Now, you obviously can't change your job every time you hear something bad. 
You can't jump out and say, well, you know, there's a balance here about how to provide for your family. There's a, there's a balance between how to ask the Lord to, um, to protect you in those things. But for the most part, Christians forget that there should be this incubation period where you're really, you know, unable to support yourself. When you first come to the Lord, you've really got to just kind of pull back and say, Lord, you need to start strengthening me up. All my best thinking is getting me into the place where I recognized I needed your your uh, saving grace. Um, all of my influences to this part have uh, to, to this far have been so far away from your wise counsel. But it takes a lot of guts to unplug, doesn't it? takes a lot of guts to pull away, to start telling that friend, look, I love you and I don't want you to ever think anything other than that. But I am on a path right now that is new and fresh to me and I'm not sure how to do both. So I think I need to disconnect for a little while. And I'm praying that our paths meet again in the future. You know, that's tough to do. Really tough to do. But I think we have to sometimes get ourselves out of the noise. You know, I, I've used this illustration before, but it's a, it's a thing I just keep picturing in my mind. Um, again, in, keeping in theme with Throwback Sunday. Um, remember those old stereo dials on your old component stereos, the big silver knob that you sit there and have to need two hands to turn it. You got a picture in your life since the day you were born, you were hearing one volume from one source. And that's what the Bible would refer to as worldly counsel or worldly wisdom. That big giant knob has been cranked to 11 for your whole life. And now all of a sudden Jesus comes and he starts speaking to you. He's got his own knob over here and he's slowly turning that dial because he doesn't just come and flip it like this. He starts speaking to you and his, and his volume starts to increase. That's what his role is. That's what he does through the power of the Holy Spirit. He starts turning that up. Now, here's what our responsibility, though, is in that process. To go back to the other dial where those other influences are screaming for our attention and start turning it back as hard as it may feel. You're pushing it back. You're putting on. Why? Because you're trying to hear what's going on over here and it's being drowned out by all this negative noise. It's being drowned out by all this uh, uh, painful keeping you stuck in your past and all those kinds of things because they are not speaking the truth of the gospel. That you are a sinner saved by grace. They are not speaking to you that as you fumble your way through this life, the Lord's got you in his hand and that he's going to clean you up and make you better. So you've got to actually turn that down. You've got to be pushing that knob down as the Holy Spirit starts to turn his volume up in your life. It's very tricky for us to find the balance between being in the world, but not of the world. That is why we need wisdom. It's not spelled out for us in every instance. I would suggest that if you're having a hard time discerning between being in the world and not of the world and still being a witness and, and a testimony, for a time being, it's better to err on the side of separation, asking the Lord to keep your heart and to keep you focused on reaching the lost. Perhaps it isn't going to be with your old crowd. Perhaps it isn't going to be with all the influences that have kept you so far from coming to him all these years. And maybe it is. You know, sometimes the Lord calls people back to the scenarios they were saved from. And I scratch my head going, oh, Lord, they're a stronger person than me and you because I don't think I could do that. And you think of some of the places that people were saved out of. 
and the Lord just removes their appetite. doesn't mean that the temptation is necessarily gone. We talked about that a few weeks ago, the difference between temptation and lust. But he really sometimes takes people and just dampens that, that hunger or that taste for that lifestyle. And those folks are able to come right back to the old crowd and the old gang and say, look, you need to meet Jesus. And they're like, well, you need to party. And they're like, well, you need to meet Jesus. And there's this ability that that person would have to just not kind of go back to it. I'm done with it. I had all of its emptiness and it no longer entices me. But it's important not to be arrogant. It's important not to let your guard down. But most of us, most of us cannot go back to those environments so boldly. At least not for a time. So I'd be praying for you if in your particular context you know you need to walk away, you know you need to break ties, but it's just difficult to do that you would just step out in obedience. And it would be that act of forcing that knob down. And as you're doing that, the Lord's starting to turn his volume up in your life. And you'll start going, I am seeing things so clear. I'm hearing things that are just crisp and sharp that I've missed all this time. When we have that old volume knob just cranked right up, we're going to hear things like, it's okay to be... Um, in pursuit of selfish gain. We're going to hear things like what real wisdom looks like is just being intelligent. You know, finding that shortest distance, that A to B kind of thing. So if you're shrewd, if you're clever, if you're manipulative, then we're going to call you wise. If you go out and earn your billion dollars and you had to step on a few necks to get there, we're going to say, well, that's a wise business person. You see, the, the worldly wisdom takes something that's okay and twists it into something that's ugly. And it calls it good. What godly wisdom looks like is, is to start learning how to sacrifice, but sacrifice with substance, not just becoming a doormat, but sacrificial in a way that starts to enhance the lives of those around you. It starts to be a blessing to the people that you're living for and that you're loving. And that will be laughed at and mocked by the world. Anytime you take less of what you could get in this life on purpose, you'll be ridiculed. It's the way it goes. Because the system that we live in says, take what you can while you can. If you do so, you are wise. So those are a few of my thoughts as to why wisdom continues to stay away from us. And what I would be praying for each and every one of us is that we would at least acknowledge that it's our responsibility to get in wisdom's audience. I don't know if you feel this way or not, but there are so many Sundays where I come, and it's not when I'm speaking, by the way, but when I come, I'm just kind of going like, I needed to hear this right now. And I work in a church. <laughs> and I still feel like sometimes I can spend an entire week just in my own head, not thinking based on the leading of the Holy Spirit, not giving Him really my will, not giving him my interest, not giving him my motivation. And when the word of God comes in, it's like it washes like pure water right over me. And I just go, man, I have missed this this week. Hey, it's same thing when I hear the word of God. You see, the Lord's resources are so simple. It's like, okay, read your Bible, pray to him, hang out with other believers, and things will start to that volume knob will start to turn up. What we're going to be talking about in a, in a, in a couple of weeks, because uh, our hope is, is that PB will be able to join us as early as maybe next Sunday. Um, and so if Barb and I can knock his feet out from under him and he'll stay on his on his back. But no, he's he's at least 
He's got that fight. He's going to be back with us, I think. So uh, just keep praying for his recovery. Um, but uh, he really uh, wants to be with you all. And so uh, in, in a few weeks after that, we'll probably come back to this. And what I'd like to explore more is not only why does wisdom stay so far away from us, but, but why is wisdom so practical? Why is it the kind of thing that isn't just reserved for the leader in the church? Why isn't it just for the elder? Why is it really for all of us? And so as we grow in our understanding of wisdom, may we also uh, encounter his favor and just make an impact on the lives around us. Would you please join me as we close our time in prayer? Stand up if you would. Lord Jesus, we know that our, our temptation is to figure things out ourselves. And God, I, I guess I would confess that I know that if outwardly I'm saying uh, I'm going to figure it out myself, I also uh, have a tendency to complain about feeling left on my own to figure that out. All the while, Lord, you're speaking to me, patiently waiting for me to open my eyes and to see your working, to hear your word, see the light that you've put in front of me to lead me. And so, Lord, I do pray for your forgiveness for being my own smartest influence because it fails over and over and over again. And, Lord, I also confess a worldly confidence in human thinking that looks nothing like sacrifice with substance, that looks nothing like biblical wisdom at times. And so, Lord, I know that there would be others that would confess that same thing. So, Lord, thank you for your mercy and your grace that's been given to us. But, Lord, get us out of our ruts and our cycles and help us to depend on everything you give us. Help us, Lord, to lean heavily on you so that we get out of our own way and get about the kingdom business that you've given us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.